0: This is CliffCentral.com.
1: It's like a groin injury for Crockett. Play carries on. Smith, the step, straightening. Oh, just unable to get their hands on the ball for long periods in this game. Franks. Oh, hands were on. You could hear the call from Sabaya. Now some room for Carter. The bend. Oh, brilliant ball to Sabaya!
2: This is magnificent from the All Blacks. And they're in for their third try. But the brilliance of Carter, the dummy defend, and the reverse flick to Saver. Nobody's catching him. Arrow and Spedding give up. Beautiful. Show and go. Pape, no chance. Offloaded. One arm. Reverse flick. Off his weak weak arm. And Saver, thankful, he doesn't even need to beat anyone. He's coasting He him Doesn't need he to is. beat anyone, but that's what the All Blacks did. They beat those French, like. Well, I like kind of a ready-to-stepchild to really take a, an old, used cliché. Welcome to this week's edition of Rugby Central. There is just so much to chat about. Well, wow, this really should be a two-hour show this week. Where to begin? Well, obviously the Northern Hemisphere teams are all gone, so there is huge tears for them. And, of course, very insightful comments coming out from the press over there. If one thing the British press can do is they can really hate on their own, and they do it in the most cutting and most clinical of ways. England, of course, well, they didn't fail on the weekend. They failed before we even got to this stage. But when it comes to the French, the Welsh, and the Scottish, uh, who else were there? The French, the Welsh, the Scottish. Um... <laughs> I just forgot about these guys completely. And, of course, the Irish. They're all done. They're out. So we're going to get into what is wrong with Norman the Hemisphere rugby this week. We're going to chat about obviously the results, the quarterfinals we just had. We're going to chat to Sean Wilson, who is probably my favorite rugby person, also because he's hugely reliable. And I really do like Sean's, um, Sean's comments and he adds great value in that he's going to now break out what the Springbok game was all about. Uh, we're obviously riding the wave that the Boks are in the semi-final and there's something to cherish, especially as everyone's been saying after losing to Japan. Now, I like to live in the now. I also like to live in going forward. So the Japan result means nothing to me anymore, really. It's all gone. It's all in the past. We've all learned from that and we moved on. So to reference that thing too much as far as to give us perspective right now, I think it's a crock of shite. So let's look at the game from the weekend and look at the box going forward. And Sean is he's just the best guy for it. We're then going to talk about um, something that's been very interesting throughout the World Cup so far. has been the predictions. Now, there is an interesting company. I'm not going to give too much away in the intro, but they've created what has been a brilliant machine as far as predicting the results of the matches. Now, we all have played Super Brew in the past, and we all have our own little friendly office wages and things like that, but the guys from Principal D, they've been doing amazing things in that they've been getting the margins so close and uh, have become like a prediction authority just from this world cup alone so we're going to be chatting to johan who is one of the uh, geniuses from this we can chat to him in the last sort of 20 minutes and just see how the predictions are made and what we're looking at from the quarterfinals why they chose certain things and how they bring in a human element uh, i did challenge uh, the machine on friday my results i came out four out of four because i thought that the irish were going to falter of course mathematically speaking they were still the favorites so i won this round of man versus machine. But of course they beat me two, three times before that. So we're going to chat to you, Han. So to give you an idea of how predictions come out in rugby. Uh, yeah. So that's pretty much the kind of crux of the whole show today. If you have any, any interest in getting in touch with us, you're most welcome to just, uh, on Twitter, the easiest thing for me is tweet me at follow the bounce. If of course, listening to this on podcast, uh you're welcome to tweet me anyway, and I'll catch up with you later in the week. But if you are live listening and you want to be involved in the show today, then tweet me at FollowTheBounce. Unless you're on the WeChat listening live right now, then just get onto the Cliff Central account on WeChat. And uh yeah, message through whatever you've got. So if you want to talk about Craig Joubert, I know many of you are Scottish <laughs> persuasion do. If you want to chat about the box, you want to chat about the fact that New Zealand now look completely unstoppable, you want to chat about the fact that France have no idea, whatever you want to chat about today, most welcome to, just bring it on. Speaking of the Scots, well, let's just start there, I suppose. It's a good place. That was the last match, and oh, what a heartbreaking result that was.
1: Um, look, The incident at the end, have you had a chance to look at Do you think it was a penalty? Do you think it should have, a, should have been a penalty because it touched an Australian hand and there's talk of accidental offside, maybe? And what was it you said to the referee as he was leaving the pitch? I never got a chance. He was off that quick. But um, where, I, where I was, I, I thought I think it was Phipps jumped, and it looked like to me. To me you know, I never had the perfect view, but it looked like to me it hit off Phipps and went back, and another player caught it. Uh, obviously, Sausy was in and around there as well. It was a kind of loose ball, so I'm not sure if it's maybe you guys have looked it on the TV, but I've not had a. A chance certainly at the time there was. I thought there was a noisy arm, but I mean, you know, we're not gonna, we're not the type of people to, to blame uh, little things. And as I said, if we would tightened up in, on other areas, uh, we, we might not have been in that situation.
2: So true. There's a bit of class with these Irish. They're not going to crap on about it. But of course, it's a massively contentious issue. This was it a penalty? Should it have been given? And then on top of that, should it have maybe even then been reviewed? Now, Craig Joubert is basically being made out to be the next Bryce Lawrence. There has been a huge backlash towards him at the moment. Gavin Hastings is saying what an absolute disgrace, a disgrace he is, and that uh, he shouldn't be allowed to, to referee in the international match. Ex-English uh, Scrumoff, and um, obviously he featured in the World Cup before, Matt Dawson said that he should be sent home right now and should not take any more, any further part in the World Cup. Yeah, look, it's it's difficult in these high-pressure situations. A referee is always going to be a villain at some stage. Now, if you had to ask the Aussies what they thought about Craig Joubert, no problem whatsoever. You asked the All Blacks what they thought of Craig Joubert four years ago. Also pretty happy with him. But, hey, there's the Scottish, they will find many, many things in that game where they're going to fall, you know, basically saying that uh, Craig Joubert was found wanting, technically. The charge, the, the tap-down yellow card that uh, Maitland got, they didn't think that was really agreeable. And then, of course, the penalty at the end. If it did touch Nick Phipps' hand, you know, it's a very technical thing here. We have the, the benefit, of course, of all these slow-mo replays. and hindsight, we know exactly what we're looking for. When We're looking at something. Craigie Bear is staying there, and he is applying everything to the way the law he sees it, right or wrong. Let's just even say if he is wrong. The backlash shouldn't be as swift as this. It shouldn't be as harsh. Yes, there's so much riding on these games, but it wasn't a ridiculous call. I mean, it wasn't... There's been far worse. That Bryce Lawrence thing, for instance, that was just beyond, beyond bad. Anyway, look, the fact that he ran off the field at the end, it didn't exactly do him any favors, though, because that wasn't like an omission of guilt. But anyway, let's get away from Craig Joubert. Let's actually look at the results themselves. So we're going to start with that Australia versus Scotland game, seeing as we've taken out so much of the... (laughs) aftermatch drama. The Aussies, well, they were going into this one and, uh, sure, definite, definite favorites. They did have... Two major losses, and that Falau and Pocock weren't in the mix, but you'd always thought that they could lose three or four players and still be good enough to beat the Scottish side. This is a Scottish side that basically beat Japan by a heavy margin, but outside of that, they didn't really do much in the rest of the tournament. They obviously beat USA, but they were trailing them at halftime. They got hammered by the South Africans, and they left it very, very late and had a very, very hard-fought win against Samoan team that did nothing in the tournament either. So they went into this game where well, everyone was predicting 20 points and more. Final result, 35 Australia, 34 Scotland. In fairness, the three tries that Scotland scored were relative gifts from Australia. The first try, nobody wanted to defend a ruck. Second try was, of course, a dodgy charge down from a very poor kick. And the third try, well, the rain came down and then suddenly there was a loose intercept out of nowhere. You wouldn't guess those those tries could ever be scored against the Aussie team, what you've seen so far. So when it comes to 35-34, 30, 34. And Laidlaw said at the end there. If maybe they tighten up the area of other parts of the game, they wouldn't be in a position anyway. So Scotland, well done for being spirited. I know it sounds so patronizing to call them brave and spirited, all that kind of stuff, but I don't think they were ever going to be good enough to make a semi-final. The fact that they got so close actually probably makes it even more heartbreaking. So the Aussies are through. Checkered, lives to breathe another day in this tournament. Going in reverse order from back from that, the Irish versus Argentina game. Now, that was also going to be fascinating. I called that one from uh, last week saying, Argentina have got so much momentum. They've built up such a head of steam in this tournament right now that they are going to be a formidable, formidable opponent to anyone who faces them. The whole thing about uh, Ireland or France, they were playing to basically avoid New Zealand. Well... I didn't think either they're going to beat Argentina or anywhere. So Argentina started off so fast; There were fourteen like, two tries up out of nowhere. Ireland did get back in the game, and it was so like very, very level in that second half. You almost thought that the Irish experience and the sort of calm heads would come through. But when you think Johnny Saxon wasn't on there, he didn't make the fitness in the end. Paul O'Connell on the bench, sorry, in the in the box actually, the coaching box because his hamstrings no longer part of his leg. They were missing too many good players and the whole thing about this Argentinian team is they don't really care about holding back. They're playing rugby because they absolutely love it and they've got a passion for throwing the ball around and just being hard bastards. And look at them. They just kept scoring and scoring and scoring. They kept throwing that ball around. They could have easily just tried to kill the game, try to get the fly off into the pocket for a drop kick. But no, they threw the ball around and before you know it, 43-20. Islander through to the semi-finals, just like in 2007 they were such a formidable side back then in 2007 they lost to South Africa who went on to win the World Cup back then now they've got Australia sure I think it's too early to get into what's going to happen there we need to know who's playing and uh we know how strong these teams are because if Pocock and are still aren't back which I think they will be then I'm still going to go with Argentina to win that one so Argentina could be finalists whoever would have thought that earlier this year okay on to the other game from that from going working back new zealand france this was always going to be a one-sided match how one-sided well i don't think any, any of us could have predicted this the french aren't great there's no doubt about that their league has been infiltrated by loads of foreigners all these big money clubs think they're doing everyone a favor sure they're winning these tournaments but are they doing anything for french rugby itself well the team had no cohesion they had no sort of heart no sort of fight and they went down 62 39 tries, three of which came from Julian Sevilla, who looked like John Lomu at some stage, just bounding over those hapless French defenders. It was kind of predictable. You weren't too surprised. But at the same time, it was really, really sad. It just was sad to see France normally so good in these World Cups. They made the final last time around, of course. They have always given New Zealand a little bit of a run for their money, beating them in crucial times as well. But that team on Saturday, well, where do they go from there? It's just... it's. Die already, Shaw, Essay um, now have New Zealand, and they're also thinking, wow, these guys are going to be incredibly hard to stop, but that's that French team. I mean, Namibia will basically remind you that the points margin when their match was less than that French team. So terrible. And then our game, SA versus Wales. We'll get into it in depth with Sean in about 10 minutes. Uh, but 23-19, it was good. Yes, it was good. That win was great. Freda priest scoring the try in the corner. Very, very cool. But... There's always going to be a but, and I can't hold my tongue, unfortunately. That was not very encouraging by the Springboks going forward. I think they had about 60% possession. The, uh, Wales had to make almost 200 tackles. The Welsh had nothing with ball in hand. They had no efforts. Really, they were ever going to trouble, trouble us. They scored a trial of no because Dan Bigger kicked the ball up and ran after it. That Welsh team was, was so spent, and uh, we didn't really know how average this whole thing was going to be because of the previous games. But um, sure, South Africa should have been 15 to 20 points better on the day. And the fact that they're not doesn't give us much hope going to the semi-finals. Yes, I know it's a semi-final; Anything can happen. But if you want to win this tournament, which is your ultimate goal, especially when you're one of the big four nations, you've got to show something that could suggest that. The box are good. The box is strong. They're tough. But without, yeah, ugh, it's, it's frustrating because you want to be happy. But there's not a lot of faith here to really have anything past the we won, let's move forward. Oh, okay. Try to say that without saying too mean. I think I failed, but uh win them all. Anyways, quick look at the messages. Uh Quinton, who is a diehard Bok fan, he says, uh, but to be frank, Ben, all we would have wanted Craig to rather have screwed the Aussies. Yeah, that's a good point. We would have preferred that if if there was a referee and was gonna screw someone, It should have screwed the Aussies after they got, yeah, after the 2011 World Cup. It's a fair point. Um, but hey, only fixing the Aussies go through. I think if the Scots went through, they would have been, yeah, Argentina would have slaughtered them. They really would have. At least the Aussies are in there. It's like a full rugby championship now, which I'm kind of happy with. Cindy from Ireland said the local Irish, local Irish comedian said that I think they should be made to go and finish the World Cup in the Southern Hemisphere. No one around here gives a feck anymore. That's Irish for something far more rude. So, yes, it's a good point. I mean, obviously, these things are going to be sold out. But it must be so demoralizing for these Northern Hemisphere guys to know that they haven't got a single team in the final four. One thing having a full Southern Hemisphere final, you can almost kind of accept that. But not one in the semis? Well, that moves us into our big topic, our big first topic of the day. And that is, what is the Northern Hemisphere's problem? I know that sounds quite crass and quite rushed after just one weekend of poor results, but it hasn't just been one weekend of poor results, of course. There's so much more that is wrong with these guys, and um, there's been some very interesting articles on this. One which I read this morning was from the Telegraph. Now, that is much better than, what's the other one, that Daily Daily Mail, that's basically a smut, useless publication where they just make lies and try to claim that our players are biting. Anyway, so they were saying, what's the point of trying to inspire players from the Northern Hemisphere and get them into these positions where you get big team talks and the nation must get behind you, yada, yada, yada? What is the point of all this if the players haven't got the skills to compete against get in Southern Hemisphere teams? It's a very, very valid call. Another one chiming in on this was Steve Hansen. He says that these owner-based clubs, which is obviously the uh, teams that play in the Heineken Cup and obviously the English League, uh, the French uh, Top 8 or Top 12, whatever it's called, what is the point of all these foreigners that are coming in other than for just domestic success? It does nothing for the national teams. If you think about... um France is a, is a prime example here, of course, because the All Blacks obviously just thrash France. They've got some really strong teams. They do really, really well. Uh, but what they're doing is they're just getting foreigners to come in, and they're getting these big, strong guys, and they're getting flowers, they can kick points. They're not developing any skills whatsoever. They're not creating any combinations amongst French players. And it's kind of sad to see. I know the English teams are far more um, sort of patriotic as far as they do produce the local talent. But... You know, the competition levels, you've got to look back at that. How competitive are these leagues when they're doing well in their own terms and they think everything's fine, but then come up against Southern Hemisphere uh colossal strengths that we are, and then suddenly they're far wanting, which kind of gives some perspective into Ruan Pinar. He went to Ireland, everyone was saying how great he was, but no, he's not. <laughs> and I think this this whole Northern Hemisphere thing just reaffirms all of that, and that's why he shouldn't be in the Bach team. But that's my one real opinion thing for the show out of the way. Something that is very interesting about all of this is that the New Zealand model for rugby always comes into the, into the spotlight when people want to, you know, talk about their success and also talk about their own failings. People would love to mimic what the New Zealanders do. But it is near impossible because I've got a great understanding about rugby. It's a rugby cultural thing. When I was there in 2011, a day didn't go by where I didn't walk past a park or some sort of open area where guys weren't playing touch rugby. I know it sounds like a cliched thing. It's like going to Brazil and seeing guys kick a ball around in a favela. But that's what they do there. They just love rugby because of what it is. It's about running with the ball. It's about free flow. It's about expression and using talents and skills and speed and guile, all these kind of things. And more and more reports are coming out that in schoolboy rugby, they play more for weight divisions rather than just having really strong big kids running over each other. Kind of what happens here in SA. But then if your team is behind by 30 points going into half time, they actually swap the players around. Now, I didn't know this was true. I just thought that was one of those whimsical things they talk about in village rugby. But what a good idea because there's only, you can't learn anything from a team getting drugged by 60. And they're all kind of humble enough to understand this. Do you ever think that this could happen in uh, other schools, other sporting structures around the world, especially here in South Africa? If your team, if you're you're watching and your son's in the team that's winning by thirty, you want them to go and plough further, win by a hundred, whatever. Well, I'll just high five the other dads. Like there's massive egos involved because parents always want to be winners. Everyone wants to be winners. But the great thing is they're missing out here is the big picture. Who is actually winning from one-sided contests? Anyway, not the New Zealanders. They see big picture. And that is why everyone absolutely salivates over how they play rugby. And they are just the, the the desired article in the game itself. So that's what they're doing at junior levels. Now, to also talk about the Super Rugby and Rugby Championships and how great this is. I know here in the Southern Hemisphere, we kind of take it for granted because we feel there's too much rugby. It's constantly being rammed down our throats. But if you look at the, the cut and thrust, the pace, the competitive nature of Super Rugby... It's actually amazing. Just look at Argentina, right? Now, they're going to be joining Super Rugby as of this coming February in the new Super, I don't know how many, I think it's team now, 18 teams. So they're going to get, be exposed to this throughout the year now, which means that if the if the money comes right, then they'll get all the players who are currently in the European leagues, they might filter back down into the Argentinian team to play Super Rugby. Now, we've already seen that since they've joined the rugby championships, here's is a, a team that's, I know they were very good in 2007, and they were already where they are now in the semifinals. But you can just see there's different levels to their game now. The way they blew Ireland away, that wasn't just a kicking battle based on good defense. They blew the Irish away yesterday. It was an amazing performance. Now, if they're benefiting from the Southern Hemisphere way of rugby, which, of course, is just exposure to New Zealand, then can you imagine how jealous these Northern Hemisphere teams are watching this? They're about to watch the rugby championship for the next two weeks, whether they like it or not. <laughs> just in the, in the home fields. But it's gotta be a huge plus and it's something that us Africans, we've gotta think of how we can make more of it. We are playing New Zealand all the time. We're playing Australia all the time. Obviously Argentina as well. But what are we really learning from it other than the fact that they are really good? We've gotta look past more than just rivalries. We've gotta look more than just, we've gotta try to beat these guys. We've gotta look at how we can actually learn from each other. We're already in a, in a, in a position where I think just from sheer connection and contact, we are learning a lot. But just seeing how far behind these Northern Hemisphere teams are right now, skill-wise, we've got to capitalize on this. This divide is a divide that we can benefit from as South African Rookie players. And I really think it's something we we'll be conscious of and something that coaches should be more mindful of going forward. Yeah, that's my two cents on the Northern Hemisphere problems. And I don't think they're going to get any easier uh, again, cause what do they do? They play six nations. They're playing in those grabby fields. They know that if they can kick the ball around a bit, they'll win. Like look at Ireland. You try, they've won the six nations two years in a row, right? But how many tries have they scored in doing this? How many times have they really come from behind, unlocked defensive through dynamic running lines, offloads, slick handling, all that kind of stuff? They don't have to. All they need to do is just scrum really well, tackle their hard start, flood the breakdown, and kick your points. But that's not going to get you anywhere other than champions of the Six Nations, as we've learned. means squat, as people have been saying on social media. If you win the Six Nations, that basically means you're the fifth best team in the world. <laughs> anyway, we're going to go to Sean Wilson now. But first, let's hear from Heineken Mayer. We all know Heineken Mayer. He's the guy that goes absolutely off his face when the box win. His celebrations of the week were quite strange. Anyway, we're going to skip through him thanking the Lord. We're going to go straight to what he thinks of Frida prayer.
3: You've been criticised because uh,
1: you stick to players injured or nearly at the end of their career. Tonight, uh,
0: we, in one pass, they send you to semi-final. What is your uh, feeling?
1: I would like to kiss for you, uh, especially after that try, but uh, you know, I've always said uh, coaching is overrated. Uh, you have to be able to pick guys of character. And I've always said character players nose is like charcoal. Whenever you put pressure on, you get diamonds. And uh, knockoff, knockout rugby is not, uh, it's not about replace the, the best rugby. It's just about character. And um, right at the end, you know, to score that try, showed some pace, my captain. Um, you know, they say he doesn't have any more pace, especially the players, but uh, I thought it was awesome. Uh, especially at the halftime as well, you know, we kept composure, Furrier was brilliant and um, like I said, scored to the end. So I must give all those players respect. I thought, um, you know, a guy like Skulk came back from a very, very serious injury. People said it's an old player. He came through and, you know, Dwayne and, and all the old players. But I also want to take my hat off to the youngsters. You know, uh, Lewitt was brilliant. He got injured quite early on and played through with Iben and those three young centres. Uh, Wales were unbelievable in midfield, running hard with Jamie Roberts. To keep them out uh, defensively was awesome. But uh, you have to back the right guys, and I'm so proud of them, and uh, I will go to all of them.
3: free uh, was there ever a moment that you doubted you could get over the line? Because the Wales the defence was superb all night, and did you ever feel like we, you couldn't break them down?
1: Yeah, it was a very tough game. Um, during the game, it felt a lot similar to the 2011 game against them and also the 2011 quarterfinal, which we, which we lost um, by one penalty. So um, there was a stage where, where I felt it's pretty tough to, to break the line. They rushed the fence, put us under pressure. But um, it, I think around about 60 minutes, I could see there's a few, a few of the guys were lying down, they were slowing the game down. And, and I just told the guys, look, they're probably off their feet at the moment. Um, we've got a lot of guys left, so uh, just... Just keep on pushing and, and then um, we, we, we'll pull it through and and and, and luckily we did.
2: Very nice, very nice. Freda Press soft spoken captain, so I'm saying he's not inspiring the team as much. Um, but hey, Hanukkah, hey, hey, smart Yes, If the lighting was any lower in that press conference, I think the music was any more sultry, the things could have happened. Sean, did you watch that game and did you have fingernails left?
3: Yes. in that order to those questions. I was I was I was, I was completely on game. I'm never good with good World Cup games. it always always humbles me to think how useless I would be if I would actually play in them, to be honest. But um it was what didn't you find the one thing interesting about all the quarterfinals is that the one game that actually looked like a knockout game was our one. <laughs> and the other ones didn't resemble them at all, did they?
2: Not, not the slightest. No, no, not at all. It looked like a opening pool match, which Australia got wrong uh, against Scotland. Yeah. Uh, it looked like a pre-season international where France rocked up with half the team hungover against New Zealand, and then it looked like Argentina were on tour to Ireland, and Ireland just thought they had it, had it won. Yeah, it was a very interesting mixture of four matches. Obviously, we're going to focus now on the Springbok one of which. Um, People have been saying, and again, you know, if you ever want to find the voice of Thrumok Match, you see what Nick Mallet had to say, and Nick Mallet had to say uh, the following. He said that we should be grateful, we must not be negative, because if we were offered a semi-final after losing to Japan, we should take it. Now, as I said at the start of the show, that Japan result right now means absolutely nothing to me. We've got to look at the present, we've got to look at the now. So. Taking Nick's sage advice away, I'm not particularly happy because, yes, it's great to have a semi-final. It is great to be top four. But nothing on Saturday suggested that we are even going to come within 12 against the All Blacks. Is that a bit harsh, or do you reckon I'm on the money there?
3: I think you're pretty much on the money. Look, I think the Nick Mallard sentiment, of just be grateful that we I, I believe that is the kind of behavior everyone must feel on the Saturday itself and probably the Sunday itself, you know, just to look through... It's just a way of kind of glorifying that good old week as a long time in rugby business, isn't it? Yeah. So that's just be, but but you know, it's but if you're in the semi-final, be in the now, look at it, you know. But on the Monday, now we got to go. Okay, how are we going to beat the All Blacks? And how does history, and, and how does history suggest what kind of position we're in to, to do so on Saturday? You know. So I think, so I, I think you're right in terms of we mustn't look. We went into this World Cup thinking that a loss against Japan was completely off the table. So I think to put it on the table retrospectively because we lost to them is, is, is missing the point a little bit, I would say. And yeah, so we're in the families, but we've got to look at some Springbok imperfections
2: to figure out how we're going to win on Saturday, in my point of view. Yeah, yeah. look, um, uh, Rothman on uh, Twitter just reminded me that all this talk about Springbok character and all that kind of stuff, yeah, it's all lovely. But you know, getting back to the point about Northern Hemisphere teams, you can inspire them as much as you want, but if they haven't got the skills, what's the point? All these Northern Hemisphere digs that are happening right now, I can't help but feel that they sound like Bok digs because it's a similar kind of thing. You know, we haven't quite got that skill set that's going to be like what we saw against Argentina or New Zealand over the weekend. So when you think there's all this talk of character and all these other things, I don't think, we, again, we, we're missing the real big point here is that, sure, I think there's always enough player player quality in this Bok team to run over a trampled Wales. Uh I don't know it's just, it's just, I don't have any positivity right now but the big question I'm getting out of all this without droning on like I've really had a bad day is that is this enough enough now to justify Heineken Mayer getting another four years as coach or will he be judged on if he wins this game on the weekend?
3: Well this is a really dollar question isn't it just what is the actual parameter here for Heineken Mayer what they're going to deem as successful or not when you look at the four year tenure as a whole obviously with the World Cup being Probably the most important of that, was um, the most important element of that uh, So, what would the line be? I mean, there was so much talk uh, before the tournament that uh, behind the has been uh, uh, like another four-year extension to this contract has been put on the table, but not signed yet. My guess would be is that it's just sitting at the top of Oregon Hoskins' draw and it's dependent on this World Cup. That mm-hmm. that would be what I would decide. What that would be the explanation for me. So, what would have been deemed acceptable when they made that four-year deal? It could well have been the semi-finals. But well, I think that might have been part of the reason why Heineken was quite so relieved as I think that quarterfinal win could well have um, actually bought him four more years.
2: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes, uh, it was such a pivotal reaction that to me as well. When I watched that, like, ah, oh, that's cool. Look at him. He's celebrating like the rest of us drunks. But I almost think that there was a bigger meaning behind that celebration. It's like, here's a guy who knows he's not in a good place right now. Here's a guy who knows he hasn't achieved much. But because they won that match, do you, this this could be it. That's his next four years right there. Because Dwayne Vermeulen has the skills to throw the ball around his back and Freda Fred followed, that has given Heineken a job security of four more years. And that's what's really, really bugging me right now.
3: Yeah, for you. Um, I think, I, think with, I mean, we debate all the time, for years, how much better we must put on World Cup and World Cup pivotal moments like that as well, you know, I mean, so many, there's, there's been so many examples down the years of different um, things that would have reacted with coaches, you know, there was a last-minute penalty in 99, to be a? how would we have viewed Nick Mallett retrospectively had we lost that game against, um, had we lost that game in 80 minutes against Australia as opposed to you know, there's even talks of 1995, however, there's talks of how the tactics that Kit Chris Christie wanted to employ in the final was overruled by the players. Can you imagine what kind of history that would have done as a coach? You know, But I understand that so much hinges on small moments, but I think in this World Cup, as as tough as it was in the great of shown against Wales, I think we'd have to accept that at any point, um, anything less than a Springbok win in a quarterfinal against Wales puts the coach under pressure. I think that's going really be the standard that we think. So if you look at the last... 18 months of Heineken Man, we say, it's been ever since that we actually beat the All Blacks in it was part, which I think we put uh, a little too much pressure on the expectancy. Is that it's actually been a really, it's, it's hovered between disastrous and acceptable. It's acceptable, possibly speaking a little bit harshly. But, I mean, the loss of home to Argentina, the loss to Japan, go back to the end of the year tour, the loss to Wales, the thrashing that was given by Ireland. So uh, you, you wonder where in the last half of his tenure has he really, really shown the highlights of Springbok
2: rugby. And I can't really come up with many for you. I'm sure I really can't. I think that the team showed great character to win in Argentina this year. But no, I, I can't see too much. Yeah, they are pretty handy in the Northern Hemisphere tours, but I don't think that can be really drawn much into considering these guys are of basic skill set. Um, I think what it really comes back to for me is that four years in, he still hasn't got a hope in hell of beating the All Blacks when it really matters. We haven't got anything other than the fact that we can try to play a low percentage game, hope for everything, that the All Blacks have an off game, and that our kicker, whoever it may be, will not miss a shot at goal. And that, for me, is not what you give another four years to. That, for me, is, okay, we tried, um, but yeah, four years, injuries, no injuries, that's just not what we need, and that's not what we need going forward. But let's just move away from Heineken now, Heineken now because I think I know I have a propensity to dwell too much on him. Looking at the low-risk kind of style, which is the only thing we can play against the All Blacks because if we try and match them with skills, they'll just outrun us very quickly. We've basically got to go and they're quite guarded. Do you see any changes to the team with this uh, game plan in mind? Um, I mean, I mean, if that so is the game plan in mind,
3: I don't see many changes to the team. I mean, to be honest, Heineken is very low to make team changes um, anyway, apart from there was a disaster. I always, I thought it was the right call. For instance, I thought it was the right call to pick Francois Herve instead of the only to see on the weekend. We'll just swap their roles. Should I say we shouldn't say drop? We should take different roles for and use the to see because he takes it seriously in the World Cup. But it was a very rare move for Heineken mayor to make in his team, I would think. So I think we're going to be looking at the same personnel. The problem I'm having then is that when we, in our classic challenges at Ennis Park, I mean the games that we came up with. That once beat the All Blacks and another time came pretty close. It's very, very different to what you're pitching for the World Cup knockouts now. And I know that everyone kind of gets carried away thinking that World Cup knockouts are a different animal in their type and cetera. I can tell you right now, from my point of view, regardless of the weather, I personally I can't see that game resembling something like 15-12 on Saturday against no. that All black side, no matter what you are playing. No. And the other part of it, as you said, if we go in there with the tactics that seem to have been developed in this World Cup, um, I can't see us being the All Blacks. And that's the sad, honest truth of it. If, if we would go more towards giving us a shot at Ennis Park and try to bring it over to and I think we have a much better shot. I'm not saying we win it, but I think there's a much better possibility. So you wonder if there maybe has been a bit more of a slight horses-for-courses approach since the Japan game, if you might have been with the idea to go back to what we were trying that was showing a certain amount of success slash improvement against the old black. But to be
2: honest, it must have seemed to doubt it, don't we? Sure do, huh, Sean, sure do. Look, I think the Ford pack pretty much speaks for itself here. Franz Herber, he wasn't he wasn't incredible over the weekend. Some say, you know, he was as good as Johnny just maybe a little bit uh, more disciplined. But I still think he definitely deserves his spot. The big question I think going forward this weekend is if Heineken if Heineke Mayer wants to bring Victor Matfield back, Obviously, there's a big doubt now. Lotte foot injury. Bismarck Duplessis, hand injury. Okay. So, <laughs> look, when we're losing Bismarck, we've already seen it. Um, Adrian Strauss, again, it's like a relatively like for like. You know, you might not have as much presence as Bismarck with the breakdowns and that kind of stuff, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't be like, Adrian Strauss is starting. Oh shit. No, that's not good. We can't have that. So that's not a big issue. But now if Yaga's out, that means obviously Peter Stephen is really going to thrust into the big time here. If, Victor Matfield is fit. He's going to play. There's no doubt about that. For two reasons. Heineke wants him there. And secondly, I think Heineke would be loath to kind of thrust Peter Steffertoy into this sort of cauldron, which is the All Blacks in the semi-final. But let's go into the backs quickly. And let's talk about fly half. Now, 100 uh, Pollard, first half, brilliant. Four out of four. Not the easiest of kicks. Nailed them. Got to the second half. Missed three. I know that, at that stage... Yeah, it's it's tough to always say, oh yeah, we could have beaten them by eight if Pollard kicked his you know kick better. Is, yeah, 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 please don't please don't fall into that trap. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, I hate it. I, we, we spoke yeah. about this. It's annoying because it's got to do with yeah. real play and stuff. But now, is there is there a, is there a school of thought to say, right, we've got most of our game sewn up now. Forwards doing well, backs are going to be all right. Is it now we're going to bring in someone who have got more faith in the kicking? And if that is true, who is that going to be?
3: It's a, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a very good question, isn't it? It was just a, another great cliche of the real game of 2 halves hundred for Andre Pollard in terms of his kicking. I mean, I thought he started fantastically. And Andre Pollard's kicking action has always made me surprised that his kicking percentage isn't higher, to be honest. He looks like a natural kicker, but it yeah. was failing a a bit in the second half. The question is, if we're going to play a kick orientated game, personally, it's it's, it's fly-off. And it's going to be... Um, if it, <laughs> if it's going to be defense-orientated and not like, kicking up much, I think there's a massive argument to say Mournay Stane should be starting that game. You know? Is it what I would do? No, it wouldn't be because, of, like I would suggest earlier, not a game that I would think is going to beat the All Blacks on Saturday. There's probably a better argument that says you should play Mornay Stane against Wales yeah. against the All Blacks from my point of view. So I'm, I'm not sure to be bored. In, but it comes back down to... So if, if Mornay Stane was about the equation, it would come back down to the Nandy issue. Which, of course, in the battle between Pollard and Lambie, Landy always seems to draw the short straw for the last few years in terms of he does indeed uh, proving himself. So I, I would, I would thought I would have gone into this World Cup thinking, you know, let's ignore how Heinicke America could have diversified for a second. But you would have gone into this World Cup, you know, there's the niggling thought behind everyone's mind that this might be one World Cup too early for Andre Pollard, mm. and it was possibly proved on Saturday that it might that it might be he probably offers the more balanced set of what you're looking for, what you're suggesting the, um, the areas we look for. And um, I think it should be very seriously considered if I was in high
2: interest. Yeah, look, it will be considered, but my my theory on on Pollard, and I'm not just saying this because I do believe in him, is that I think it's much tougher to offload the tackle when you're being tackled by Pollard than you are being tackled by any other fly-off option in the Bok team, and that has to be considered because that 10-12 channel... Yeah. I mean, this is where New Zealand are scoring some pretty amazing tries. I don't think his kicking is that much worse than Lambie on a good day or in fact Monet So I think that that needs to be put to bed. But Sean, sure, before I let you go, we've got to get one more selection, uh, consideration out of the way is, are you going to go with Jesse Creel seeing as, uh, defensive frailty still become a buzzword with him? And then do you bring in Jan Ted Is that is going to be?
3: Yeah. I mean, I mean, the problem I have with the unsurmountable issue now is I can't. That that would be yet another centre combination that the with the three used in this tenure, and to give it a first outing in the semi-final against the All Blacks, that just kind of makes me shudder. To be honest, so I would I, I would stick with the de Lendi partnership just because something has built in you, and you hope that the guy's fine and able to withstand what's going to be an assault on Saturday. The first place, I would look the like major western that haven't come up would be one of Billy Marie, to be honest. Yeah. So I'm, not, I'm I mean I thought he was disastrous on Saturday. Like I said for reasons similar to earlier, if you would start saying Kirsten in that position, again I can't see the game where South Africa actually beats the All Blacks on Saturday with St. Kirsten doing it. I don't think there'll be enough decision makers in the back line. Yeah. it, it would it would look like you know, you know, if we stick with Pollard as well, it would look like Frida Perea would be the only guy that's putting anyone into space. And I can't see how it would be all-backs with Kirsten there. My argument might even mean towards putting Landy there, which wouldn't be ideal because the man hardly spent any time at fullback uh, for the same box, but that would be the other consideration I would have. So, and and look at these positions that we are pitching about there. I mean, they're pretty much through the spine of the team, decision-makers that are going on. And, and Frida Perea are probably the only constants out there, but there would be we're looking at the selection debate or one which would change the way the spin box play quite dramatically from what happened on sure. Saturday, or certainly the flow of the game. So it's, um, it's, it's a very interesting week coming up. And as nervy as we are, I think we must just also remember it, it sounds a bit negative. I just want to end it bit the positive we can not This is just epic to play the All Blacks um, in a World Cup semi final. And I would say this is definitely the biggest game that's what we would say the greatest rivalry in rugby has played for 20 years. Since yeah, the easily. Game. So I, I think there was a little bit of that. But, and I think the Springboks will, will, in a weird way, relax a little bit. Because I think we were, they will put themselves more under pressure against Wales. And there was a sense of... but Because you, you're more scared about how how crucified you'll get back home if you used Wales. But there might be a sense of a little bit more... You know, the stakes are almost lower if you get knocked out by... By the All Blacks in the semi I'm sure they'll go into it positively. But the worst case scenario is a lot, lot better than it seems, if they lost on Saturday, uh, um, Sh- Jordan, um, I'm, I'm, i seeing
2: the headline already. Box relish underdog card status. Oh, that's going to be played a lot. I mean, <laughs> just just hearing you there, I can already, I can hear the guys typing it now in the background. Yeah, look, I think you made some very, very valid points there, Sean. Something we'll all be able to harp on for the rest of the week is that, yeah, now we've got the underdog tag and, uh, the box know that they haven't got the game for the, for this win, but they'll just do what, what they do. They'll play it to their own with inner strengths and then hope that the All Blacks cock it up. I think that's kind of the most succinct way of putting it. Uh, to be fair, really. Sean, uh, yeah, so catch more of Sean, sean we've got we the prediction guys coming up next so if more of Sean's insights which are always daily on tap and golden at simply Sean at S-E-A-N with an underscore at the end Sean watches all the games of course he kind of will know more than uh, you and me put together so get him on Twitter Sean anything else you want to say before we let you go
3: Oh, no, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all clear that Like I, uh, like I said, I think we, I think it's an element of earlier with the theme of how well, Nick Manning would just be relieved how we're there on the Saturday, with how we're going to switch the focus on the, on, on the Monday, on how we actually do how we're going to play the O'Bleck. And I think every single change. should have that kind of balance this week. be we'll as, as excited. We, this should be the most excited that we've ever, like this should be like the top three, four rugby game experiences we've ever had as a rugby fan. He's incredibly excited about Saturday. But uh, but think about but, but but think about the kind of game that's gonna beat the All Blacks and whether really you can really imagine it happening with a team that gets there. And I think certain trends that have happened in this World Cup might suggest I'm not sure the game time's gonna happen to beat the All Blacks. And yeah. hopefully, hopefully that's proven wrong.
2: Okay, Sean, sure. I was literally just looking for a Go province from you, but I mean that too. I mean I I really do take uh I appreciate that.
3: Oh <laughs> uh, that was uh, that was the I'll give you the highlight of the weekend, (laughs) Western
2: (laughs) Province. Exactly. Western Province versus Lions this weekend. We'll get into more of that uh, later in the week, though. Sean, thanks so much. We're going to come back with your hand from Principate D, these prediction guru phenon geniuses. But first, uh, I always hate it when I press a button, I think I'm doing the right thing. At Sibanye Gold, we believe leaders are
0: made, not born. We also believe we can create a sustainable legacy by helping to develop tomorrow's leaders today, which is why we have partnered with the leadership platform to nurture leaders who are committed to growing our country's economy. We are proud to say it's an initiative that's already
2: showing glittering results. Sibania Gold. We are one. Yeah, you know, I strive to sound professional here, I really do. Uh, if it wasn't for Duncan who knows where the show would be. Who knows, who knows. Anyway, we've got Johan on the line. Johan, can you hear us? Um, hi Ben. Thanks for having me back on the show. Oh, brilliant. Okay, cool. Right, Johan. So we are going to, for those who haven't been on Twitter, haven't been on, um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you consume your rugby normally, but if you're listening to this, there's a very good chance that you're savvy enough to know exactly what I'm talking about, so I'll keep the intro light. Johan yes. is one of the clever guys behind uh, what has been like the, the most effective uh, World Cup preview engine. Now, we've had Paul the Octopus in the past for the Football World Cup, of course, and then after that, people were just taking the piss, all kinds of other mythical animals and they weren't really on the money. But your hand system works. Um Jen, yeah, just a quick snapshot, what's your success rate been for the World Cup so far?
0: Um so far yeah we've we've gotten ninety one percent of the games right. I think we only gotten, got four four wrong across through the whole World Cup.
2: Okay. Let, let me just try guess the four wrong. Uh okay. Georgia Georgia versus Tonga. Yeah. The Japan SA. Yes. Uh recently the Argentina Island game. Yes. And the other one, I'm going to guess, was, ah, oh, crap. I've Japan, tried, Japan. <laughs> what, J- Japan who? The
0: the second Japan game. So they lost a Japan game. Um, I think, what was the last game again?
2: The last game was against USA.
0: Um, yeah, so that one as well. We got that one wrong as well.
2: You guys thought USA would win that?
0: Yes, we
2: thought so. Yeah. Oh. So that,
0: yeah, those were the four. That was a, that was an interesting one. It was a close game. I can't recall the exact margin we said, but we we said it was going to be a really close game. I
2: think so, it was ten points in the end, Johan. You really let yourself yeah. down there. Okay. So yeah. so now you we've just had the quarterfinals. So those are four really uh four really big games. We now into two really big games. So what's yeah. the, what's the procedure that you guys go through to formulate uh, your predictions going into this week? Because everyone has a system, right? Either it's listening yeah. to Sean and I rabbit on about box having no chance, or is looking at the stats in the various stats app, what's the, what's the whole process that you guys go through?
0: Yeah, so, so, so what we try to do is we try to emulate what the general Super Brew predictor kind of does. So he says, all right, let's look at past um, performance, so these two teams against one another. Um, let's look at the recent performance, so how's the team doing at the moment, so the current sentiment and view um, and form of the team. Um, and then where they're playing, what they're doing in the World Cup thus far. So in terms of what we do, we we say let's look at the past performance of all of the teams going back even to 1995, so 20 years of data. We try to take out um, the individual team's performance. We say what are the characteristics of the team that is currently playing? So where are they ranked? Um, What is the odds of the game? How many tries have they scored in the past few games? Are they getting better? Are they getting worse? We try to bring all of that in. And then the one thing we've thought about closely and actually struggled a little bit with, and I think that came through in the Ireland game on Sunday, is how do we get the machine to be sensitive to what's happening around the team? So, for example, Ireland lost three really key players this weekend or in the last week. And unfortunately, the machine wasn't sensitive enough to pick that up. I was and, going to and, ask and you the exact
2: we, same thing. It's like yeah. Johnny Sexton. He there was talk yeah. all week of he's going to be in. Come come yeah. game come get game day. Yeah, he's in the yeah. track seat. I mean, yeah, no,
0: that's that's very tough. And and I think what we try to do and how we try to bring that in is using fantasy league data. So so there's a fantasy website where people um, buy players for their team, and as they, more people want to buy certain players, the value of the team or, of that member goes up. And then we said, all right, this might be a good proxy for saying, all right, if your top strongest 15 players are playing the overall value of this team should be quite high Um, but unfortunately i think in the last week the fantasy league wasn't sensitive enough to island losing all of those players so we 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 missed out a little bit on that one
2: okay now is this is it purely just a machine or have you got interns and a team of other people who are just constantly typing in codes and sums and things like that like how mechanical is this process (laughs)
0: So in terms of the the modeling, so that's completely automated. So the model takes in the information and it spits out what it thinks the the final outcome is going to be. What makes it a bit tricky is gathering all of the data we use. So we literally need to sit and pull in the odd information, pull in the recent history, the the results. And what makes it interesting is it's kind of an iterative process, so through the whole world Cup. After every single game, we retrain the model. So then the model adjusts its expectations. So, for example, if historically we knew that a team that's ranked much higher than a team that's a little bit lower would translate into an average difference of 10 to 15 points, all of a sudden in the World Cup we see that that difference comes down a little bit. We'd hope that the machine then picks up on that and and adjusts as the World Cup um, uh, carries on.
2: Okay, cool. Well, Johan, thanks so much for giving us the insights around this because people have always been asking me, it's like, how do they yeah. come up with that kind of stuff? You know, they get it right and unfortunately in some circles, I'm the only person that knows sport, Cliff Central being one yeah. of them, so I get asked a lot of questions. Yep. So it's it's good that I can at least sort of deflect them a bit here. Going for the rest of the week, where can the guys out there find all your information, infographics, all that kind of stuff? Um. So, sorry,
0: can you repeat the question? Mine of
2: that there. Yeah, so uh, in order to get all the insights we've just spoken about, where are yep. people going to go for, for all of this? And sorry, where, so, where, where, where and when? Because people are very, very edgy about where they get this. They want to be first.
0: So, so the data we get is as, as close to the game as possible, and we pull it from the internet. So we pull it from the World Cup website, from odds, um, bookie data, um, bookie sites, um, and then we just manually process it and it automatically update the model. But if people are really interested in the infographics and where all that data comes from, they can look at our website. and It's um, www.principa.co.za, and all of the, the the stats and results for the infographics is on there as well.
2: Cool. So Principa. Dot, uh, so P R I N C I P A. Yes. and then on Twitter, you guys are Principal D,
0: Yeah, at D.
2: Cool, Johan, thanks so much. I think we'll chat again on Friday because we, cool, yeah. we need to go head-to-head again on the semifinals. Two interesting yep. games. Um, I would say one predictable, one very much, let's just wait and see the team sheets. So I'll catch, yeah. you. I'll catch you back on the Gareth Cliff show in the morning on Friday then. Cool,
0: thanks, Ben. And, and well done for, for getting all of your predictions right this week. And I think um, you, you, just, you showed that having that very sensitivity to what's going on around the team helps a lot.
2: Thanks. I I think the Irish depth was there. Achilles healed this tournament, and yes, it has. It's come home to roost for them. Cool, Johan. Thanks so much. We'll chat again on Friday. Thanks, man. Thanks for your time. Fantastic. Okay, yeah. so that's um that's Jan from Principal D. So if on Twitter, just join them there at Principal D. They have these really great infographics. So not only are they giving you the predictions of what's what, but you're also getting some really cool insights of like the history of the teams, who's done what, points, average points of when these teams meet, uh historical uh, results. And of course, always back down to like, you know, who scores the most tries, who's looking like an attacking threat, because it's nice to have all this information going into the match, because even if it's a boring match, going in there, understanding certain things makes it exciting. So just a quick look at the messages. We haven't got too much time left, so I'll just get to 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 Boko here. He says, I reckon the box have a 0.0 chance of beating the All Blacks. I don't think they have an answer for Sonny Bill Williams, the most amazing alpha athlete. Bro bro Bromance there. Coming off the bench, he's going to destroy our backline. I, well, I agree with ninety-seven percent of your message. That I don't think Sunny Bill's going to destroy us. But it's, this is the strange thing about these All Blacks. Right, going back to that rugby culture. That what's his name? Someone Moody. He's like he's just a, a sub prop that came on. How's the handling of that guy? Like how That guy linked with the backs and then suddenly tries happened. Every single one of those players knows exactly what to do with ball in hand. If it's something loose, they don't just pick it up and bring it to someone. They pick it up and there's like that split-second awareness. You know what it made like Zinedine Zidane so good in football those years back? The guy always always had vision and time and it's like the all blacks are blessed with that from positions one all the way through to 15 so before we get the leadership platform in here let's have a quick look at the semis those have been decided now first semi-final friday at five sorry saturday at five o'clock friday will be yeah just kind of mulling over all the stats saturday five o'clock new zealand versus south africa what we're looking for here is we've got the overwhelming favorites the new zealanders the sa team will absolutely love the underdog status uh You heard it here first. You'll now read it on many, many sites. That'll be your your headline. So SA, well, we've gone through with Sean. There's no real chance there, but SA are going to play a conservative match, hope for the absolute best, and just hope a couple of calls go their way so they can kick the crap out of New Zealand. I don't see it being a pretty match. Well, if you like New Zealand rugby, it could be pretty if they get ahead. So I'm going to go with New Zealand winning that one by 15 points. Of course, this is my sort of basic Um, assumption on these things, we still need to see team sheets because if injuries happen, as we saw in the Irish game, suddenly a team becomes a lot weaker. The final semi will be Australia versus Argentina. Wow, what a match we have been blessed with here. Hanukkah Mayer talks about being blessed Well I'm going to talk about it in a more universal, friends. Because we've got a team that's going to run the ball with so much spirit and passion and pace. These RGs have been wonderful. I really do love watching these guys. They're very much my second team. If you're into that second team kind of thing you'll understand what I'm talking about. Australia, on the other hand, well, we saw what the Japan lost it to South Africa. It galvanised them. It finally gave them a clue. Is the same going to happen now for Australia? Is this going to be that little brief wake up, and um, and sort of shock that they needed in order to in order to kind of get them to playing their best? Well, it all depends if Pocock's to be back. I think if they can have their first choice loose trio. Even though McCalman was really, really good on the weekend at number 8, I think if they can get Pocock and Hooper bossing this match, it'll almost neutralize the RGs because they've got such a great forward pack. And then backline-wise, well, I can't see Foley having the same bad day with the booth he had against uh, Scotland. Uh, You've got to look at that team and think that they've probably got enough. They've got solidity. But if it comes down to 50-50 and a coin toss, well, I'm going Argentina all the way. Again, depends on the team that they pick and how much strength they can take from this uh, semi-final. Because it also happens with these teams that sometimes they just don't have enough stamina to go from really big wins to create more big wins. I mean, look at look at Ireland itself. They beat France when they were really like backed against the wall, their player-wise. But they couldn't do it again for two weeks running. So much gets taken out of you with these massive euphoric wins. Look at Japan. They beat uh, SA. They got pumped by Scotland the very next week. So there's so many different factors to look into. We'll have a lot more about this going through the week. So if you join me on the Gareth Cliff Show right here on Cliff Central – Week, week, weekday mornings. Sorry. Weekday mornings. That sounds better. From six until nine, around six thirty SA time. I always review all the latest things that are happening in sport. But if that's too early for you or you live elsewhere in the world and your time zone isn't conducive for this, cliffcentral.com under sport That's pretty much all that I have time for right now. Leadership platform is up next. Thank you so much for joining me in the latest edition of, uh, rugby central. Thanks so much to my guest, Sean Wilson. And of course, Johan from Principa D, the guys who are predicting the matches and, uh, are doing a pretty good job of it. We'll catch you back next one day, hopefully with talk of a SA Australia or SA Argentina final, but let's not hold our breath too much on that. Let's just enjoy the spectacle because this is going to be one of the greatest games we're going to see forever and ever. The biggest New Zealand SA confrontation for, yeah, last 20 years. This
3: is CliffCentral.com.